All right, welcome to the first Daily Dots of 2024 here on January 2nd. It's going to be uh, just Chase with you here today. Um, let's let's get this party started. We had an interesting day to start the year. Um, S&P was down about half a percent. Uh, the NASDAQ 100 down about 1.7. Uh, Dow was actually green by a tiny bit. Small caps were down about 0.6% on the day. Kind of the big mover in, in, in news of the day was Apple down over 3.5%. Uh, they got a, a downgrade from Barclays, which apparently was enough to n- knock off you know tens of billions of dollars in market cap. But um, NVIDIA was also down over 2.5%, so kind of a, a rough day for them as well. The VIX got is a teenager again up past 13 um, maybe the most important move of the day was was rates in the dollar. The dollar was up uh, 8.84%, so a very big up move for the dollar. Um, and then the two-year and the 10-year yields were both up about seven basis points. Um, oil was down about 1.5% today. Gold and silver down a little bit, not not too much. Um, I, I think the dollar move is, a little, is interesting. We actually, at one point... Three days ago, home, we're about we were barely over 100. We were like 100 and, and 0.6. Now we're back at 102.22. So pretty big rip for three trading days in the dollar. And obviously that coincided with uh, yields moving higher throughout that period. But at the same time, uh, the 10-year at one point you know, hit, hit 4% today and we closed at about 3.93. So um, off the highs, uh, something that to me was notable today, despite the weakness. A, a lot of that weakness was mag, magnificent seven related, but equal weighted S and P was, was essentially flat on the day. Um, and my bristle cone index, which is just my construction of looking at uh, cyclicals versus defensives. It's not the same uh, kind of mix of cyclicals and defenses everyone else uses. I have my own way of doing it tends to move with the market pretty well. And whenever it deviates, I, I take signal from that. It doesn't mean it, you know, it works as some sort of like trading indicator, but I, it's something I pay attention to. Um, it has not really under, uh, kind of underwritten the significant move higher in stocks. It's moved up with stocks, just not as aggressively. It's not near its all-time highs uh, the way the, the, the actual equity market is. But the point I'm trying to make right now though, it was essentially flat on the day too. So, I took the weakness today as largely, you know, driven by just a bunch of Mag Seven selling. Um, as some of the under the hood stuff didn't didn't look near as bad, but at the same time, it was a pretty ugly day. That's that's worth you know keeping in the back of our minds. And on that note, the uh, sector stuff was actually pretty bad. It was very risk off. Your leader was healthcare, which is a defensive, followed by utilities, a defensive, and then consumer staples, a defensive, were up over 1%. Um, while consumer discretionary was down almost 1%, and then tech was down 25 thanks to essentially a 2.5% move on uh, the Magnificent 7. So that's what happened in the market today. So not a great start uh, to the year for the bulls, but hey, one day they can all be more than overcome just tomorrow. Um, as far as day-to-day, we only had a couple of things. We had the S&P PMI, manufacturing PMI, 
came in a little bit weaker than expected and just under 48. So manufacturing kind of still in recession territory. Um, tomorrow we get ISM, which is also manufacturing PMI, but the one that kind of everyone looks at for, for more signal than S&P, at least for now. Um, and we'll, we'll have jolts, so job openings data. Um, and we'll get the Fed minutes, which normally is not really that big a deal. But considering the last um, FOMC uh, meeting and projections and press conference were such a, a big event uh, with the Fed being significantly more dovish than than folks had expected. Um, and they've clearly tried to walk that back since. So that makes these minutes interesting, especially since a lot of people are of the belief that they sort of doctor the minutes after um, for con- – consumption's sake. Um, so if that's true, they may they may find a way to make these sound a little more hawkish than the actual um, projections and the press conference, uh, what everything that Powell said. So that, that could actually move the market a little bit tomorrow, even though it normally doesn't. We are expecting job openings to fall um, again from, from last month. It'd be interesting to see um, how that prints. Um, just a few little things I wanted to talk about today, not too much. Um, first, just a quick, uh, look at what we're expecting for the year on an, on the, on an earnings standpoint. And as of now, the market expects 2024 earnings to grow at 10.8 and 2025 to grow at 12.7. So later in the year, that's something I'll, I'll kind of come back to and we'll, we'll look at and see how this thing plays out. Zach and I have been talking a lot about those numbers, um, and then the really high expectations for earnings in 24 and 25, because we have really struggled with it and don't think it makes sense. But at the same time, they have been kind of falling since October, despite the fact that the mar- the market itself has been on a rocket ship since October, which is in itself, I, to me, interesting. Um, Q4 of this year, uh, earnings uh, expectations went from 7.5% in October to just 1.5% today. So, and, and that, and that holds through 2024 as well, where it's kind of kept inching its way down. Um, so you're currently pricing six federal reserve rate cuts, a mar- uh, an economy that does not go into recession and earnings that grow at about 11%. So you, I mean, you're really pricing in nothing going wrong, um, which I of course do not really think is going to play out that way. And as we've talked about, a little bit before, but I've kind of developed further. I really think the first quarter can have some strength due to the fact that we had such a blow off in asset prices in the fourth quarter, probably enough to add about $7 trillion in net worth um, to American household balance sheets, which is enough to make people feel great about where they're at and go spend money. Um, Obviously the, the one thing that can kind of really overturn that would be the jobs market actually rolling over having some job losses um or you know reasonable spike in unemployment up you know 0.3 something like that um but unless that happens I, I think the momentum of asset prices will push fourth quarter data uh up up a decent amount um so that's something to keep an eye on uh, i will beat the dead horse of construction spending real quick we actually did get some construction spending data today um, November's, November's data was, a, was wor- a little worse than expected, but the October number was revised significantly higher. 
But if you just kind of zoom out and stop just looking at the basic month over month stuff and you, and you look at the trend in the year over year, the year over year, you're almost 10% um, to the upside growing versus last year for construction spending. And kind of more importantly, there, there are two like really clear trends that you can see for construction spending. And those go from 1991 to 2008 and then from 2011 until now. Both of those trends, um, if you would kind of just push push out the, the the trend channel to visualize where those trends were and are, we're we're above them. That's like that's how strong construction spending has been since COVID. Um, now that obviously that applies to a lot of data in the economy, especially data that you know is based on nominal. Uh, dollars because there's a lot more nominal nominal dollars than than there used to be, um, but I do think it's notable to to say hey like construction spending still very strong. We do see the fact that the number of homes and apartments under construction, I mean it just goes straight up and then it goes sideways for a few months and now it at least looks like it's starting to move lower. So we kind of could put in a, a peak here for. Um, Units under construction, construction spending, and of course, construction employment. So like I said, I'm going to beat that dead horse because I, I just think that is the probably the biggest risk to the economy in 2024, 2025. And for whatever reason, I, I, I just don't see too many people talking about it, thinking about it, putting it into their model for the way things might might go or could at least could go wrong. Doesn't mean they will, but could go wrong. I think most folks kind of just look at it. Well, interest rates are going down. So Real estate's going to be great. Um, I don't think that's true, even if real, even if rates do keep going down. And I think at least for the next, uh, I call it two to four months, they probably won't. I think they'll they'll go up. I think today, having rates go up like seven basis points is is more of a, a signal of it's it's more it's not a dead cat bounce. It's more of a like no kidding. Like we're probably going to move higher in yields for for the next two three months just based on well data is going to perk up and. If you get two months out of 12 into the year and data has picked up and inflation is no longer, you know, rapidly falling, um, that will require energy to bounce. But if it does, inflation will not be, you know, rapidly falling anymore and data will be solid, solid to above trend. Right now, fourth quarter is looking like it it grew at about 2%, which is above trend. Um, so if all that kind of holds to, to the way I, I envision it, Two months in, three months into the year, now all of a sudden, you know, you're a fourth of the way through the year and data strong, inflation's no longer collapsing. That's like a really, that becomes an awkward uh, environment to have six rate cuts priced in. So I, I would assume we can, I think we can go all the way back to two, but maybe a, a more um, useful way to look at it is, is, is like, well, we're going to go back to like four four cuts getting priced, maybe maybe three cuts getting priced. I do think it can go all the way back to two, and then late in the year, I think it can, it can come all the way back to six if things you know break and get bad on the employment side. Um, but that path matters. So if if rates can go back up another seventy five basis points, say on the ten year or something like that, um, that that will have a pretty significant impact on on everything that we follow and everything we're talking about. Um, and it will have an impact on on the construction market, on real estate in general. But even if rates do keep falling, I, I just I don't think that becomes the stimulus to real estate that people that people expect because that that will still be higher uh, higher yields than are currently out there for effective mortgages. Effective mortgage rates still like three point seven. So 
Uh, every every day that you're above 3.7, you're forcing more and more people to finance higher than you know trillions of dollars are currently financed, and I think that has an impact. Um, but enough about that. Uh, well, one more thing on real estate. Actually, we went from at, at peak about five and a half offers per home sold um, when things were kind of nuts during COVID to only two and a half now, which is essentially completely normal. Like what you saw for years and years is roughly about this two and a half number. Um, so you're back to normal as far as um, kind of supply and demand equalizing on, on real estate. And I, I think that might be um, instructive moving forward, especially if it doesn't pop um, where, and, and we're starting to see existing home supply perk up. It's, start, it's really started to pick up um, in the last few months. So if that continues and these, you could even see the number of offers per home fall because all of a sudden there's a few to, a few to choose from, um, and of course the fact that we have a a record number of units hitting the market this year all suggests to me that supply and demand for for real estate is not as uh, juicy as like I, I think a lot of people seem to expect. Um, the last thing I'll talk about real quick is natural gas. And, and for a couple of reasons, one, I've talked about it a little bit on the show before. So I wanted to pr- provide a little bit of an update. Um, and two, just, I want to talk about it from a bit of a portfolio management perspective. Um, first of all, like I said before, like this thing really comes down to two things. It's going to be weather and production. Production has come off a tiny bit. Uh, not, not much, not enough to matter, not enough to really help. Um, but it, but it has at least <laughs> stopped going straight up both in the Permian basin and just, uh, in, in total in the U S for natural gas production. Uh, it looks like we could move lower and get down to like the one Oh three handle for, um, BCF per day in the next few weeks. And that, that would be nice. I think you need to get back to more like one Oh one to like really have, um, a powerful resumption in the bull market for natural gas. Um, but at least it has stopped going up and it's fallen a little bit. And then on the weather side, um, December was was horrible. I mean, it was shockingly warm, essentially in the entire country. So there was no help in December, but that was a, that was priced in whenever we got excited about about natural gas in December. Um, now all of a sudden, January is looking cold, and it's looking like the polar vortex will kind of get split and fall over the U.S. and Europe, which is a kind of a, a, a double whammy um, for helping the natural gas price as. Europe's storage, like America's, is doing well, even better, actually. I mean, Germany's still like at 90% full, even though we're in January. So LNG imports were starting to slow down. And they, you know, import tons of that LNG from the U.S. So that's that directly feeds into the supply picture in the U.S. So if this cold snap holds in Europe, that kind of helps keep LNG demand where you would want to see it. And then, natu- obviously, if the polar vortex is going to hang out over essentially the entire U.S., um, outside of at the moment, maybe a little bit of New England and the very, 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 very you know, far reaches of the East Coast, um, then that's going to do a lot for demand and, and help clear out some of the overhang versus the five-year average that we've built up in the last, um, call it six weeks. But uh, I will warn, at the end of the day, weather models past call it three or four or five days they, they're just always they always require a grain of salt and a shot of tequila because they change a lot they and not only do they they just change but they tend to change warmer especially recently in the last few months 
if you look at what the model said versus what the model, what, you know, what actually happened, they were saying, oh, it's going to get cold. And then it didn't a lot. There's a lot of Charlie Brown football going on with the weather models and, and it being cold. So I know a lot of my brethren that like to trade gas and are long are getting really fired up about um, the, how cold it's going to be. And don't get me wrong, I am too. And I, but I also know that a, a two week out, three week out model, um, it, it can just change overnight. And so I'm certainly keeping my head about me on that because there's just no guarantees. But at the same time, to be able to see a weather model and see blue and green over the U.S. instead of red and orange has been a, a welcome change of pace. Um, natural gas has responded. The price is up. Um, nothing crazy, though. Like we're, you know, we're not back at $3 or anything. We have just stopped going down and gone up a little bit. Um, so that's kind of the gas update from a pure fundamental standpoint. But I want to talk about it from a fundamental standpoint. I was reading my um, uh, almanac for Stanley Drunkenmiller, who's my favorite investor of all time, and I think the the best investor of all time. And he was talking about how much it helps him that he essentially trades every asset class, because there are going to be dead periods for essentially anything that he trades. But if you kind of trade anything and everything, there's like always something that kind of becomes an opportunity and perks up and can offer um, not, not just diversification, but differentiated returns. Uh, and I think that's one of the values of, of gas. It's one of the values of like paying attention to, to individual commodities and then investing in them whenever you think uh, there's a, you know, there's a real opportunity and not just commodities, but essentially anything. Um, I mean, today, you know, if you're just long the mag seven that carried you through 2023 and was wonderful today, it hurt. Um, and if you were, you know, long some differentiated stuff like Bitcoin and natural gas, like you, you're doing okay. And I think, I think that shows the power of exactly what, what Stan said and, and being able to kind of go anywhere, do anything, um, as an investor and, and, and at least for periods of time that, that is, that can be very powerful. Obviously sitting out the thing that is on a rampage is just always going to hurt the way it, it did with, uh, magnificent seven equities for everyone that wasn't loaded up on them last year. Um, but there's this, there's always going to be something that, that is a good opportunity. I mean, we were long, you know, uranium for most of last year and that, that really did wonders for us and, and saved us from a lot of pain. Um, and every year it's going to be something different. I mean, talked about it recently, like, but if you were long Argentina last year, you beat the NASDAQ. Argentina stocks, which I can promise you were not popular with anyone going into the year or really at any point during the year. Um, and there were actually, I think it was nine different countries, country ETFs that beat the S&P last year, nine or 10. So if you just had a nose to be in something like Mexico or Brazil or or Argentina, and you're kind of noticing a Latin American theme there, uh, then you you still beat you know what the Magnificent Seven allowed the NASDAQ to do much less or the, or the S&P to do. So there's always like opportunities out there that aren't the ones right in front of your face that CNBC is, is talking about ad nauseum. Um, and I think being able to being on, being watching for all of those and then being willing to go essentially surf any wave that, that makes sense um, can really set you apart, especially over time. And that's something we're, we're definitely trying to do. Um, some, that's something we are doing is something we will, we will, we will plan to always do. Um, and we hope that, you know, it starts to really show up over time, but that's all I had. I wanted to just run through the markets, um, kind of pour a little cold water on the fact that everything was getting beat up today because 
equal weight and and stuff was was kind of flat so no one hopefully no one overreacts to one bad day but at the same time it would be interesting to see how we go moving forward it's a very strong seasonal time to start the year uh so the fact that we were pretty deeply red in a strong seasonal period is it even though it's one day it's worth putting a pin in to see if it continues um and i wanted to do the update on that gas since i've kind of hammered away at it on the show before um we'll see how it all works out and see if that polar vortex really camps over uh the country for a few days and let lets us get a lot of cold and a lot of snow but that's it for today we'll be back with you tomorrow um don't forget you can download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com cheers The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.